Hey, Andrew Curland. Hey, Jason Schultz. What's up? Hey, that's my Twitter handle. Yeah, I know. I, I like saying that, you know. <laughs> hey, everyone. We're back. Redhead Racing Radio. It's been a while. Did you we, miss us? You know, we, yes. Well, Jason, I didn't miss you. But... Uh, yes, you did. Uh, I actually we'll don't see. think we didn't get a break from each other. It was the listeners that got a break from us. That's a but good point. we've been busy. We so I think we last talked about um, we were both doing some dirty mo media work. You were helping me out editing the uh, Dale Junior download uh, back in late May, early June. So we've been super busy doing that kind of stuff. Then once uh, I started picking up some more dirty mo media stuff too. So we've been busy, but we wanted to come back and do the podcast again, but with some new revamped content. Yeah, busy but brainstorming. You know how we've teased about having guests on the show for we like finally- two years. Yeah, for literally two years. So this is the big reveal right here. But we finally got the logistics down, found a time where everyone could meet, and we got Alan Kavana on the show. I have, like, he's one of the guys that I aspire to be like in the future. And, uh, you know, we've both gotten to know him really well at the racetrack. Very funny guy, too. Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, we can just hang out and joke with him. That's what's so cool about the NASCAR world. But he agreed, like, why would you agree to come on our show? But somehow Alan Kavana did, and uh, we're having him on the show today. Yeah, so as much as you don't like him because he went to your rival journalism school, <laughs> he agreed to come on still. I do have a quick funny story about how I met Alan. So the first, my literally first day at college, I had moved to Charlotte two days before this, moved in college, went to my first couple classes. This is, you know, August 2016. And of course, in Charlotte, NASCAR country, a lot of NASCAR, like NASCAR stuff happens all over the place. That's what I thought, you know, moving to Charlotte and stuff. So this was late August. Darlington was in a couple weeks. So throwback paint schemes were being revealed all over, you know, the place as teams do a couple weeks beforehand. So I saw Alan tweeted that Greg Biffle was introducing his uh, Hooters throwback paint scheme at the Hooters that's near Charlotte Motor Speedway, which is about 10 minutes from campus. And so I saw that tweet and decided, hey, I'm done with class for the day. Just begin this new life in Charlotte. Let me go check it out. So I literally went to the Hooters. It was kind of a public, it was like a media event. It was also had some fans there. So I went in, saw him unveil, Greg Biffle unveil the scheme, and then say, hey, Alan, I saw your tweet about this. It's the only reason I'm here. Just started college. And he was super nice. And then ever since then, he's offered tons of great advice. I also met um, Adam Stern that day, which was pretty funny too. Big should, yeah, we should have him on the show sometime too. But that's kind of funny. It's kind of like, that was my intro to Charlotte. Like, hey, welcome to Charlotte. Went to a NASCAR unveil, paint scheme unveil Hooters. Yeah, I I first met Alan. Um, it was my, I think it was the second race I ever went and just ran around and did interviews in 2014, and that was when he was with NASCAR.com. And I believe if I dig it up somewhere, I interviewed him. And actually, it was funny. I sent him this long Instagram DM, kind of telling us what we did and and kind of what the checkered flag crew was. And when we finally met him in Indianapolis, he like recognized like, oh yeah, I saw I saw your message like, and then we got to talking about it, and uh, he's been fantastic ever since. Sweet, all right, I think it's time. Let's talk to Alan Kavana. All right, as we said, joining us now, Alan Kavana, the 1997 New England Quarter Midget Heavy Stock Class Champion, reporter for Fox Sports. NASCAR on Fox and um, Syracuse University graduate. Thanks for coming on with us today, Alan. Anytime. Thanks for the research. I mean, you even got down to the class, heavy stock. Very good. I, I no. applaud you guys. Your racing reference page is huge. 
<laughs> oh, good. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't know you raced. I can't believe you were a race car driver before you were a reporter. So tell us a little bit about your racing background. Yeah, man, I grew up, I grew up racing just like other people grow up playing soccer or playing basketball, whatever. I grew up racing little cars called quarter midgets. And that's where a lot of people start. Uh, my grandfather was a professional race car driver. He actually made one cup series start. I didn't realize that until a few years ago. Uh, but then my dad did it a little bit. And then I grew up racing quarter midgets with my cousins and uh, you, you reach that point, you know, you guys know in racing where you either run out of talent or money. And I, I just like to think I ran out of money, not talent. <laughs> so I, was, I was plenty good. But I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up, you know, doing it with uh, Joey Logano and other big names that, that came through. I remember, you know, Reed Sorbson coming for the Nationals, other big names. You know, Aaron Crocker is a big name. Doug Kobe, a modified driver. I mean, all those, all those people, we all were kids racing. And then uh, we're kind of all still in it in one way or the other. Alan, you said you, you had the talent. You remember how many races you won? No, I don't actually. I actually won a lot. <laughs> I mean, I had like 100 trophies as a kid. I mean, really? I was definitely spoiled. And uh, no, di I did win a lot and uh, went out as champion, New England champion in the class. And uh, it, was, it was a good deal, man. That's the way to go right there. Absolutely. So I know you grew up in Connecticut and I'm also a fellow Northeaster. And I know there's not many NASCAR fans up that way. So... How did you, were there many NASCAR fans growing up? Did you know many NASCAR fans or were you like the weird kid like we were watching NASCAR as a kid? 100% the weird one. I was the only kid in sixth grade wearing a Rusty Wallace shirt every day to school. I mean, really, I had five of them and I would wear them Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday. And, uh, and you did, it felt lonely kind of growing up as what felt like the only NASCAR fan, at least in school. I mean, there are plenty of tracks. I mean, you know, there, there's dirt tracks, there's modifieds. Uh, you know, there's obviously a, a racing culture up in the Northeast, but not as prevalent as the other sports. And so, yeah, I did feel like the weird kid. And uh, I think that's kind of what, binds nascar fans together in general but that's certainly how i grew up i was the rusty fan and you know i would be the only one watching racing on sundays but it worked out right <laughs> yeah very cool yeah alan i'm gonna have to be the bigger man here and you mentioned how when you agreed to come on the show that i had to say syracuse was the premier journalism school so there you go <laughs> i hope you're happy with that <laughs> but the path from Syracuse to where you are now at Fox Sports, you've been to a bunch of different places. Can you kind of tell us what path you took to eventually get to Fox Sports? Yeah. So uh, once the racing thing didn't work out, ran out of money again, not talent, but I, I won, <laughs> you know, I'm an only child. I wanted to be on television. And uh, so I really set my sights on that and I wanted to cover racing on TV. So I did. I went to the greatest communication school in the world, Syracuse University. <laughs> uh, that worked out and, uh, and then started my TV journey. And part of that that was just getting whatever job you could take. And, and for a lot of people, that means starting in a small market of Joplin, Missouri, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere, market 146 at the time. And uh, I did news for the first eight years, you know, professionally, I did news, covered murders, fires, school board meetings, all, all that weird stuff that, that comes across your local news each night. But the goal was always racing. So at every point I tried to uh, focus on that and, and cover racing wherever I could. Uh, Joplin happens to be the hometown of Jamie McMurray. So when Jamie McMurray would race in Kansas, uh, I'd tell the sports people, hey, can we go there? Can we go there? And the sports people didn't know about NASCAR. So they let me go up there with the photographer who knew a lot about NASCAR. So we got to go and do stories. And that, you know, each time along the way, I got to get a little more on my tape and just just have that experience at the track and then eventually moved on to Evansville, Indiana, which is close to the Brickyard. So we got to cover the Brickyard. And then and the goal for everybody, right, in, in racing is to kind of get to Charlotte and eventually the news path worked out to get to Charlotte and it just blossomed from there. 
You mentioned cutting your teeth in Joplin and covering everything from murders to fires and school boards. Were there any like weird stories you remember that like stick out to you that you had to do? hundred uh, percent. I covered, <laughs> let's see. I mean, just along the way, I covered a dog named Head. Uh, I don't want to say that. Yeah, some someone. This was actually in Evansville, in, in Union County, Kentucky. Someone. We got a call that someone had <laughs> buried their dog in the public cemetery. And the dog's name was Shithead. And, oh and, so and so we're like, this has to be nuts, right? So we go there and it's a big cemetery. We're like, how are we going to find this? You look in the distance, there's a nice flagpole. And at the bottom of the flagpole, there's one grave at the bottom of the flagpole. There are no other graves for miles, it look, you know, that, that look. And so we go up to that one grave and it's this big headstone and engraved in it is Shithead. And, oh um, and so, yeah, that was, that was a popular one. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's always something, uh, there's a bunch of crazy stories along the way. And uh, yeah, it definitely, it, reality is way better than anything you could ever make up. Like, you could <laughs> ever write that story and be like, eh, that, that would never happen. Oh no, it happened. Wow, that is, that is very unique right there. I know you have a dog and that was very nice of you to not name your dog that. <laughs> no, well fortunately my wife <laughs> named him because uh, the next dog we get is gonna be named that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I heard that you started out in NASCAR, like going in the garage and ambushing drivers to interview them and kind of uh. stuff. And so that's kind of how Andrew and I all started out when we were really young. So can you tell us a little about that going up into drivers and just kind of in the garage, no media access or just kind of going up and talking to them and ask them if they have a moment for an interview? Yeah, that, and that just goes back to being young and not knowing the rules, right? I mean, now, I mean, you guys, I mean, at your age is already, you're already garage veterans. So you know there are, there, there are rules, right? There are certain times where drivers get interviewed. There are PR people that you have to ask to interview these drivers. When I first got there, I didn't know any of this. I, I was, you know, reporting in Joplin and I knew we had to get the story, right? I mean, we were there sent on special assignment. We had to talk to Jamie McMurray. We had to get some of these people. I didn't know there was schedules or press conferences or anything like that. And so we get to the track and they're like, no, no, you can't talk to anybody. Uh, you missed it all. And I was like, oh, no, because uh, we had to deliver, right? I couldn't just call back and be like, oh, no, we can't talk to anybody. Uh, you just paid to have us come up here. So it just involved me and the camera guy and photographer running around the garage, just sticking the mic in people's faces and they just started talking to us. And I thought that's how it went. I mean, we got, I mean, first thing I ever did was talk to Rusty Wallace, this guy right here, my favorite. Uh, we got Jamie McMurray. I remember running, you know, I think Dale Jr. at the time was coming out of like the porta potty and we just like ambush him with a camera. <laughs> you can't do any of that. It's hard to explain to people just like, how the PR people would will just tackle you now if they were ever to see you do such a thing. But we had, you know, in my head, we had to get these interviews and there was no other way. And it ended up working out uh, back then. But just thinking back on all the, what we did to get those interviews and how you can, I would never attempt to do that now because you would just burn so many bridges so quickly. Uh, but hey, it worked out. I, I love looking at like old videos of like myself doing the same thing running through the garage. And I think like, how, how did we get away with that kind of yep. thing? And like, how did people let us do that? Do you kind of feel the same way? Absolutely. Because, uh, you, I mean, you're just so, it, it becomes very, um, you know, you, we're in the NASCAR bubble, right? I mean, you, again, you guys are young, but you still know how that all works, right? Yeah, I mean, we're all kind of the same traveling little circus, so you know everybody. There aren't many kind of outsiders that come and cover the sport every week, especially now. Uh, but back then there were, and I was one of them. You were one of them at one point. Remember, just you know, getting in 
um, you know, at, at that beginning level and you, you don't know the rules, right? And people, it's like you're either an insider or an outsider. Like no one kind of teaches you right away. Like there's no crash course in how it all works. And uh, so you had to get it done. And uh, that, that's something that's always been a positive for me is that like I, I always kept the goal in mind, right? The goal was to get something on air at 6 p.m. It didn't matter uh, if someone was yelling at me or, or if there were rules to break or I didn't know there were rules because you, you had to get the job done because that's all, I mean, they're paying you. So uh, that has always benefited me. I've always had that mindset to, to get it done. So you talked about getting into the sport and breaking in and um, your first NASCAR break, interviewing Jeremy Mayfield at, a, at his house, kind of just showed up as a local news reporter to get the story and then he happens to roll up as you're uh, walking away. So can you talk a little bit about how that kind of broke your um, or introduced yourself to like the more than greater NASCAR industry? Yeah, that was a big one. Now, again, NASCAR had always been the goal, right? So that gets me to Charlotte. Once you get to Charlotte, NASCAR is a way of life. It's an economy. It's an ecosystem. There's a lot of stuff, not just sports related. So I'm constantly pitching to, uh, you know, my news people about, you know, economy stories. The economy was terrible then. People were losing their jobs, all that stuff. And just making it known, hey, I know about NASCAR. I can do these stories. So they at least knew me as the NASCAR guy. So fast forward, I think it was 2009, Jeremy Mayfield tests positive for methamphetamine, for meth. I mean, crazy. This is a top NASCAR driver, and he gets suspended. So that's a news story. That's, not a, that's no longer a sports story. That is a news story. And who are they going to turn to in the newsroom? The NASCAR guy. So it was awesome. So it was, I was tasked with um, you know, pursuing the story, and I, I at least knew some of the people, some of the angles. And we show up at his driveway and it, it really, I, I mean, I, I like to say it was skill, but it was just a lot of luck in terms of, you know, knowing where to be and being at the right place at the right time. So, you know, in news, like we always like to show, oh yeah, we went up to his door, knock, 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 but no one was there, dun, 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 you know, one of those cheesy things. And that's what we we're going to do. We were at his gate. We we're going to say, we came to Jeremy Mayfield's home, but he didn't answer the door. Like we were all, I was, I was mic'd up. I was wired to do that. Photographer was rolling. Out of nowhere, this guy in a truck pulls up, rolls down his window. It's Jeremy Mayfield. And it was like, holy crap. And we, we just happened to have everything ready. And uh, again, I like to pat myself on the back a lot. But I, at this moment, I happened to, I, I, you know, I knew we had limited time and I hit it out of the ballpark, man. I mean, <laughs> asked, no, I did. I mean, it was lucky. We got very fortunate. We were prepared. And I asked three quick, great questions. He answered them. It was, it was visually very good. It was compelling. He had good answers. And uh, it was the first and only interview for a long time with Jeremy Mayfield. It was, it was awesome. And uh, we rushed that to air and it was a big deal. It was a big deal just in the news wise, but it was a big deal for me because obviously I wanted to get in, you know, break into the NASCAR side of things. And, uh, you know, that, that interview ran on SportsCenter. That interview ran on SiriusXM. And at the time, I know you guys are too young to remember this, but Twitter was just getting to be a big thing and, uh, or was getting bigger at least. And on Twitter, I was only a NASCAR person at Copacabana. All I talked about was NASCAR. I didn't really talk about, you know, new stuff that happened day to day. So between Twitter being the NASCAR guy and having kind of at least something of a voice on there and other people getting to know me on there, I suddenly became, oh, the guy who talked to Jeremy Mayfield. You know, being on TV and getting that interview and then having that Twitter presence, it, they kind of converged and blew up. And it definitely got me noticed. Now, it didn't get me into the NASCAR world for another 
three or four years almost, but it got me noticed, you know, in hindsight, I heard from people at speed here, you know, why didn't our reporters get that interview, you know, stuff like that. And it, it at least put me on the radar. So being there in the right place at the right time, I'll never forget that day because uh, Jeremy Mayfield's plight, man, he didn't have to talk to me and he did. And it, uh, it made for, you know, a good career for myself. You mentioned like you hit it out of the ballpark and it was in a moment where you weren't even expecting to talk to him. You had to think on your feet. And that's a lot about what your job is now as a pit reporter working on live TVs. You got to roll with what happens and let's kind of shift to what's going on right now with coronavirus. You're at the track, you're inside talking to drivers. How is it different doing your job now with coronavirus and the limited access that you're given? And uh, you know, what's it like being at the racetrack? It's a lot different. I mean, surprisingly quiet, which is for, which is odd for a racetrack, right? That was the first thing I noticed is just how quiet it is because there's just fewer noises and, and fewer people. Um, you get a little less access, but you almost get a little more because no one's bothering these guys. I remember the Charlotte race, like normally Chase Elliott would be surrounded by people. He would never be out just hanging out with the guys, you know what I mean? Hanging out with his crew, uh, kind of BSing or just, you know, out there anywhere near alone or not just being surrounded by a bunch of people at all times. And there's no one to surround him really, right? I mean, you can just go up and, and have these conversations that you can normally have, but normally there's just so much pressure, especially on race days and all this stuff. I remember talking to Chase right before he, I mean, he was doing his own tape and his own interior stuff right before he climbed in. We're having a conversation. I mean, that just doesn't normally happen. There's just fewer things to think about. Um, and so there is some access there, but you know, it's access through the face mask, right? It's access mm -hmm. through a, a social distance, which is kind of odd. Uh, but once the green flag drops, it really is pretty much the same job. That's when it gets normal again. Uh, but uh, other than that, it's it's a lot more texting with these guys or texting with crew chiefs or PR people just trying to get information beforehand. Uh, but the job itself, the mechanics of it, it really is the same other than wearing uh, a scarf or a face mask and interviewing someone from six feet away. That's so interesting. I would have thought, because I know so much of your job is is before the race, walking around through the garage and, and talking to people. I actually never crossed my mind that actually these guys would have a little bit more time, but that's so interesting that, that that's the case. Yeah, there's nothing there's nothing to do. Uh, they, they have to get there earlier, right, because of all the health screenings. And so there's a lot of kind of, I mean, especially in the trucks, if, if these drivers don't have uh, – one of their big you know buses to go to like the cup guys do uh, there's a lot of downtime and hangout time and, and just waiting for the green flag to come around and uh for for myself i can just mosey around and talk to a lot of them it's uh, it's different yeah <laughs> that's awesome and you were on the front stretch when chase did that very cool bow after he beat cobbush in the bounty at charlotte so that was probably and no fans are there so you get to be like one of the few people to witness kind of a cool moment like that too that, that was cool. I mean, that was just a great, uh, that'll look, we'll look back on that moment in terms of just, I mean, this COVID era, right? I mean, you had you, between the, the race in, in this odd era that we're in this time we're in, remember it was the bounty. And then, uh, it, it, yeah, I'd never done a front stretch interview like that before. Fox doesn't normally do those. And uh, so I got to do that. The drone was flying around. It was all these little things that I never experienced before. And, uh, you know, had a mask on. And I just wanted to take a, a picture just to, in, in, just to memorize, get a memory of this weird moment in time and in sports history. And it happened to be at that moment where Chase Elliott's doing the bow. And that part was really cool. I mean, I freaked out over that because, yeah. you know, I, I, some part of me is still obviously a race fan. And I appreciate these moments in racing history. So it worked out. 
So we'll finish off with a few lighthearted subjects while we got you here. Um, you like to joke with Andrew now. He's in college and um, should you know focus on his education, but the girls are a huge part, especially at ASU. I bet they don't compare to Syracuse, but I bet. Uh, well, look, look, ASU is a beautiful place. Andrew, you know, hopefully has a, a lot of uh, beautiful girlfriends, but he might not get a job afterward, but hopefully he has a lot of beautiful girlfriends and weather at ASU. Yeah. <laughs> whatever works, Andrew, right? I know. Yeah, it's, it's whatever... You know, you learn some things every now and then. Yeah. So I heard your story of how you met your wife is pretty unique and how you originally connected with her on social media. So I want you to tell us that story quickly and then maybe share any dating advice you have for us uh, twenty young 20-year-olds and uh, young 18-year-olds. Oh, I don't know if you want advice from me only because uh, you may consider me something of a stalker when you hear this story. So yes, both my wife and I were local news reporters in Charlotte. Uh, she covered like the, the higher part of South Carolina. She was at a kind of a different station at that time. But so that day I get sent to Rock Hill, South Carolina. We were both covering the same um, trial. And it was a trial for this scummy guy. He was a driver's ed teacher who would expose himself during driver's ed instruction. And uh, yeah, real creepy stuff. So, but this is where I meet my wife, right? My, my future wife, we're in, we're in the same uh, courtroom. I see this stunningly beautiful and talented person and she is kicking ass in there. I'm like, who is this person? And uh, I remember we struck up a conversation and this was back when we didn't all have laptops and all this stuff. And I asked to borrow her laptop so I could send an email, uh, creeper me, logged on to Facebook, which I, you know, she was logged into her Facebook and I friended myself and the rest is history because then we were Facebook friends and uh, she never held it against me, I guess. Um, and, and from there we uh, connected, you know, for, further on down the line. And then, you know, a couple years later, we're married and happy. That's, That's awesome. awesome. You hear about like the going on someone and like friending it on their computer, like in stories, but now we've met someone who's actually done that. That's awesome. Legit story in a courtroom. <laughs> and, uh, yep. And thank goodness, uh, we were assigned both that story that day. That's awesome. Alan, uh, really appreciate you taking the time, uh, you know, to talk to us on our podcast. You know, you are the first guest. We wanted to have guests on the show, and you were the top name on our list. So uh, we're both big fans of yours, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on. I'm the first one to say yes. That's what that translates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, good job. It's good to have uh, the next generation coming up, you youngins. And uh, just don't take my job. Take someone else's job. But uh, it's good to have you guys uh, in the, your contribution to the sport because like young drivers, we need young media members, and it's good to have you guys. Good deal. Awesome. Appreciate it, Alan. No problem. Alan Kavana, Man, he, isn't guy. he awesome? So many good stories, like just little fun yeah. nuggets. So that was good. Yeah, I know. I love my favorite part of that was the, the shithead dog story. That was just fantastic. We also found out he nearly became a famous NASCAR driver racing with the likes of Joey Logano growing up. Yeah, I did not know that. That was very interesting. And I found it was very funny. And, and we'll post video clips of this too, but everyone, he was wearing a giant Syracuse shirt. And, and the back and forth that we have is literally every single race, I will find some sort of joking jab about how Arizona State, the Walter Cronkite school is better than Syracuse. And like to the point where even, I remember I was showing my friends around the racetrack in Phoenix, I think it was. And he comes up to me and like I was giving them a tour and he's just like, hey, 
Arizona State sucks. Syracuse is the way to go. And my friends are like, who is that? I'm like, that's one of the Fox reporters for the race today. Yeah. <laughs> it's <just> like... <laughs> it's hard to support your school when your mascot's a used condom. Wow. Oh my. Syracuse is a little, a little classier. Dang. Wait, that's not even your original joke. Isn't that from Ted? Yeah, that, I think that's where yeah. I was from. I remember I was watching that. Oh, I was watching original. that during uh, the quarantine, and I sent you like three different videos of that making fun of ASU. <laughs> oh man! Wow, you got to come up with the own jokes. Uh, I think I was good. I think the listeners will like it. All right. Well, hopefully you guys like this new format that we're doing. We've got a giant list of people that we want to contact, and um, we're going to keep the list going. Yeah, you mentioned Adam Stern. He would be great to get on the show, and I know he would be happy to do it. So we're going to keep the guests coming. If there's anyone you want to hear from, let us know. Send us a tweet, and uh, we'll try and get them on the show. Yeah, we'll do some racing talk, too. We're not going to solely be interviews every week. Maybe every once in a while we'll throw in some racing talk if something exciting happens on the track. I know a lot's happened in the sport the last week. I know it's hard to find excitement sometimes, especially going to a bunch of mile and a half for the next month. But once we get to New Hampshire or something, maybe something exciting will happen. But we'll keep keep talking and uh, keep the racing talk coming as well. But we want to hear from people and find out people's stories and give you a little behind the scenes of the sport. So that's what we're going to aim for but we'll uh keep it mixed in with some good old-fashioned sitting on the couch watching racing talking about nascar appreciate everyone listening we'll see you next time